and I'll let Matt introduce himself. Uh, well, I hope to most of you I don't need uh, any introductions, so we won't waste time with that. I don't think I've ever felt so under pressure to preach really well than after Pete's prophecy of throwing out magnifying glasses and things, but we'll get into that in a moment or two. I know we've got loads of time. I spoke to one of the um, mums when I arrived late this morning and I said, just remind me, what time does the meeting finish? When do I have to stop preaching? She said, normally if I was doing kids' work, I'd say half past. I'm not doing kids' work today, so take as long as you like. <laughs> so, um, fully released by that, I feel pretty chilled about the time. So, first thing I want to say is, like what you've done to the place. Very nice. Is this literally the first Sunday? You've been living with it? With a change, okay. It's great, isn't it? I really, walking in, and I strategically thought, no, I'm not going to get there on time. I'll get there 10 minutes late. And, um, and I, just to see what the atmosphere is like in the, in the room. And uh, it felt great walking in. It's amazing the difference environment makes, isn't it, to a church, to a congregation. So, yeah, I look forward to the rest of the wall being built. That'll be good. Paul, is that right? Is that? No, yeah, yeah. Maybe some curtains. It's great. I like it. And apparently it's going to be a new carpet. Yeah, new carpet's coming. It's going to be great. I like it. All right? Get down DFS. A few more sofas around the outside. We can have cafe church. I think it'll be great fun. Sorry, by the way. I said a joke about being late. I was late, and the reason I was late is because I am staying with Wendy's parents in Plumpton, and this morning I thought, I'm not going to go the normal way through Heathfield and Battle. I'm going to go through Lewis, Eastbourne, Bex Hill. Uh, what's the next one? St. Leonard's. Then I got nearly to the White Rock Theatre, and there is a colossal crane trying to get itself installed in the front of the seafront there, because I think they're going to paint one of the fronts of the hotel. And I stayed there so long, I thought, I'm never going to make it. So then I took some side streets, which I don't know, and got completely lost. So I'm really sorry about that. I felt slightly better when I arrived, because Kevin said, well, his first words to me were, nice of you to turn up. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Brotherhood. Thank you. And... Uh, he said, did you get held up in battle because battle is shut and we forgot to tell you? And that's the way I probably would have come around that Heathfield way if, if, uh, if I hadn't known. But anyway, I was late anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. Just to say, I heard you mention Nigel earlier. Uh, I was on the phone to Nigel for... I had two phone calls, in fact, I think, on Friday. And uh, obviously he said, I'm with, with you all today. And Nigel said, oh, please let everybody know that we're thinking of them, and uh, please pass on our loves. So I'll, I'll do that. And uh, now all of that is said and done. I'd love you to get your Bibles and go to the Old Testament and uh, turn to two kings. If you can get to two kings, chapter 4. I see in a couple of weeks' time you've got my friend Julian Adams here. And it's fantastic to receive prophetic ministry. It's a gift. Ephesians 4 says the risen Christ gives grace and some of that grace he apportions to gifted men and women to bring prophetic ministry into the church. And prophetic ministry brings 
the presence of God very close. It makes all the difference in the world to our lives. Really, prophetic ministry is what it means to be a charismatic church. In Oxford recently, I said to somebody, I was in a conversation with a leader from another church, what you've got to understand about Emmanuel Church Oxford and New Frontiers is that we are theologically charismatic. When he said, well, what does that mean, theologically charismatic? And I thought, yeah, what do I mean? In the moment, you know, when you say things, I said, well, theologically charismatic means that we are genuinely relying on the supernatural voice and presence of God. In fact, if those things aren't there, our church doesn't. And that's what it means. And where that can't really be built into church life authentically, we come up with all sorts of other institutions to, to compensate. So instead of praying and hearing the voice of God through prophetic ministry that comes into the church, we go for a vote. So you say, well, this congregation will be democratic. Every member, if you come in and you're a member, you can have a vote. So when it comes to a decision time, what we'll do is we'll all take a vote and what the majority wants, we'll do. That isn't theological, charismatic church life. Now that is uh, what it sounds. That is much less than that. So I want you to really prepare yourselves to receive Julian again. I'm sure it'll be a great blessing. But also the reason I say all of that is as we turn to 2 Kings today, we're going to read about Elisha, and Elisha is a prophet, and as we read through the life of Elisha, there are a number of things that just seem a bit wacky. They are prophetic encounters. And yet the great thing when we get into prophetic scripture, as well as receiving prophetic gifts in people, is that whenever you open the Bible and read about prophets that have existed in other generations and the ministry that they extended is it immediately tells us something about life. Prophets speak into life itself. They hold up a mirror and help us see what life is all about. Also, prophets help us understand people. What people are like. And also, when prophets speak right the way through Scripture, prophets also help us understand what God is like. And that's exactly what we find when we read through this account this morning. And this morning I've titled this sermon, Faith for Chains, Don't Ask for Just a Little. And it's interesting, I really felt God speak to me about this message for you this morning. And I feel very encouraged, all jokes aside, with Pete's prophecy about this morning being fruitful to you as a church. Particularly now I know that Julian is coming in a couple of weeks' time. So I want to talk about the widow's oil. You know, the widow that Elisha finds and the kind of ministry that he has into her life. So 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha and said, Your servant, my husband, is dead and you know that you have revered the Lord that he had revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, 
except a little oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons and they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me more. But he replied, there is not a single jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told Elisha and said, and he said to her, go, sell the oil, pay off all your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this scripture. We want to thank you for prophetic ministry, even received already in this meeting. We want to thank you for your word that is alive with prophetic ministry over the years and still has prophetic power to speak into our lives today. And we ask you right now, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come right into this room, right into every one of us in terms of our minds, our thinking, our hearts, our spirits. We ask you, engage us as whole people, Holy Spirit, and come and speak to us with authority and power. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to go through five points from this story with Elisha and then we're going to pray together at the end and really hopefully receive the Holy Spirit's ministry and maybe even have one or two words of knowledge and maybe some prophetic ministry over some of you towards the end. Now this lady, verse 1, tells us, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, that's the group that had been trained and had been ministered to by Elisha, this lady had come to him and said, my husband has died, he was a believer and he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. This lady's life really had hit the wall. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of feeling your back is right against the wall, like you have got no other options, like every route of escape has shut to you. Like actually there is no hope really. Where do I go now? Pressure, pressure, pressure. There's difficulty at home, there's difficulty at work, there's a lack of security in my life. Where do I go? This is exactly where this lady found herself. Her husband's dead, which means she had no provision, no lead, no hope or security for her future. She's a woman, so she can't work herself. She can't generate her own income. She's in debt and she can't pay. She has children. She can't keep. She can't afford to pay her debts. So the guy she owes money to is going to come and take her sons instead of money. Sounds like a pretty bad day, doesn't it, really? And right in that moment the only thing she can do is to cry out to the man of God and say, listen, my back is right against the wall. One thing we've got to understand, when we read scriptures with guys like Elijah and Elisha, when we hear people speaking to them, they are a type, if you like, of Christ, 
of God himself. So when this lady's crying out to Elisha, she really is crying out to God through Elisha, saying, listen, my husband's dead. The creditor's on his way. I'm going to lose my children. And immediately, Elisha begins to ask her a series of questions in the kind of way God might ask us questions in similar situations. So when we find ourselves in situations where we haven't got the resources and we haven't got the answers, it's a great thing to follow this lady's lead and cry out to God and say, listen, Lord, my back is against the wall. And sometimes those moments can come for any number of reasons. Sometimes we can run out of emotional resources where we just haven't got the inner motivation to go on anymore. Sometimes our back hits the wall through relational pressure. In families, in marriages, with your boss, with your neighbour, in church, dare I say. Sometimes there can be pressure through relationships. Sometimes it can be financial. I mean, man, have we ever been through in our lifetime a period of time like we're going through now in terms of financial pressure? You know, it seems that we have, on every front, changing finances as families. You know, I find it constantly amazing. The government changes and, and change starts with, you know, just a few weeks after the election. All of a sudden, we get a letter as a family saying the child trust fund that the last government started for your little toddler has been scrapped. You think, man, why start there? You know, six months ago, I bought a bike on the government's ride-to-work scheme. You know, because I live in Oxford, it's de rigueur. I mean, you have to cycle. Don't you think I'm looking trim? Uh, it's the, the way, I haven't been this way for about five or six years, and I'm back down there. And it's all cycling. Nearly kills me, but Wendy says it does me good. I get, I get a letter the other day that says, actually, we've changed the rules now on the ride-to-work scheme. Instead of the bike being yours at the end of the scheme, you're going to have to pay 25% of its original value. You think, give me a break. Everywhere you look, there's financial pressure. Everybody clawing to get a little bit more. You know, British gas, don't start me on them. (laughs) Don't you love the British British gas advert? Not, where everybody lives on their own world. Doesn't that make a comment about society? You know, we understand your world. Think, Hold on a minute, we're all on the same world, British gas. We actually don't live on our own globes. Hello? You know, it tells you something, doesn't it? About so- but the reality is people's backs can often be against the wall. And this lady cried out to God through Elisha and it does us good to do the same thing. Sometimes you might even feel like you're running out of spiritual resources where you come here week by week and you say, if only people knew that I was dying inside, they wouldn't even want me to be here. Listen, cry out to God. Cry out to God, because when you cry out to him, he'll hear you. Let's move on to the second point. When you do cry out to God in moments like that, and in my experience, I find that God answers my most desperate prayers the clearest. When I pray in the most desperate way, you know, when it really is like a single sentence saying, God, you've really got to help me here, 
please, please help me. You often find that God hears those prayers in a way that get answered. Now, secondly, the second point I want to make is God will ask you, what do you have? Verse 2, Elisha said to her, how can I help me? Tell me, what do you have in your house? You know, God loves starting there. You know that. God, when he hears you in your kind of desperate moments where you feel you're running out of resources, when you feel your back's against the wall and you start crying to God saying, Lord, listen, I need you to break into my life. I say, okay, come on then, Matt, what have you got? What have we got for starters? Where should we begin? And like this lady, I love the way she responds because she speaks for all of us generations, like centuries later. She says, your servant has nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. I can't even pray. So she, she says, that, oh, I haven't got anything. I haven't got anything to offer you. You know, it's a bit like the disciples. 5,000 men on a hillside. The disciples said, listen, Jesus, it's getting a bit late. There's not many travel lodges around here. I think we ought to send them home because they're hungry. And Jesus said, why don't you feed them? And they said, with what? And he said, well, what have we got? And they said, well, we've just got this. So all we've got, we've got a packed lunch. You know, we've got a spam sandwich and a packet of quavers. And Jesus says, we'll start feeding them. We'll start there then. See, that's what he loves doing, doesn't he? This lady says, listen, I've got absolutely nothing at all. And then she says, well, actually, I've got this tiny, tiny bit of oil. That's all I've got. You know, at least I've got that. And he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get as many jars as you can find and shut yourself in your house with your sons and I want you to start in faith pouring out that oil. And in that prophetic request is a description of the kingdom of God. That actually, when we're asked what do we have, as we begin to think, why is God asking me that? We're beginning to understand how the kingdom of God really works. And that is God wants to know what resources we're going to invest in him with faith. What are we going to believe him for? What have we got that we're really going to trust him with? And we can think for just a minute, God loves to demonstrate this reality of the kingdom in loads of ways. You think about the, the, the girl who is dead and being buried in the Gospels and Jesus just says to her, Awake. Just a tiny little interaction, a tri- tiny little investment that's absolutely laden with faith that Christ has in his Father's ability to raise and she gets raised from the dead. Another one would be the mountain when Jesus says, you have faith as small as a, mount- as a mustard seed. You can speak to big things with small amounts of faith and you can see them change. What about the guy who was blind? He came to Jesus... And Jesus doesn't do some kind of massive platform ministry. He bends down on the floor and spits in the dust and makes a saliva paste and then rubs saliva paste on the guy's eyes. I mean, talk about a modest beginning. I mean, if I was going to be healed of blindness by Christ, I want a Reinhard Bonnke type experience. I mean, I want 500,000 people to see it. It's not how the kingdom works very often. 
What about a big city like Jericho? And it's brought down by people obeying and walking in a certain way, shouting at a certain time and blowing trumpets at a certain point. You know, incurable diseases were healed by shadows and handkerchiefs that had been in touch with the apostles. And ultimately, this demonstration of the kingdom is proven that our entire salvation was achieved on a Roman cross. Looked like complete abject failure and yet that simple investment by Christ has redeemed us forever. So when God says to us, listen, what have you got then? You know, what are you holding on to? Even though your back's against the wall, what have you got? It's actually, I do believe you exist. Okay, well, let's start there. Actually, I do believe you gave my wife to me. I know that you called us together to be married. Okay, we'll start there then. Actually, I know that you asked us to buy that house. I know we felt we had your peace, so we're going to trust you that we're going to pay the mortgage. Okay, let's start there then. I know that you said that job was going to be a blessing to me and yet now it looks like it's under threat. Okay, let's start there then. It's really bringing to God what we have to offer him. That's why we sing worship songs like Hungry, I come to you, for I know you satisfy. I am empty, but I know your love does not run dry, so I will wait for you. That's why we remind ourselves, don't we, even in worship, that we're coming to God really so often empty, bringing so so little really, and yet God wants to multiply. That's the third point I want to bring you right into and then we're going to start speeding up so we've got time for prayer at the end. Not only does Elisha say, really, what have you got? He begins to imply a question and says, actually, how much do you really want to get back? And that's the question really. You know, what have you got now? I've just got this little bit of oil. And then he says, okay, how much do you want? How big is your faith? How, what are you trusting God for? What are you believing God for? What are you looking for God to multiply? Do you want twice the amount of oil? Do you want ten times the amount of oil? And he begins to teach her a lesson and says to her, listen, I want you to go and get as many jars as you can get. You can imagine, I can't, can't you? She says, okay, well, let's go. You know, a few houses, a little village maybe, and she's going around trying to find pots and pans and maybe potties. I mean, anything. You know, anything, saucepans. I mean, anything that will hold oil. She's going to get as many as she can get. Because she's beginning to think that God is promising her something by the way Elisha is speaking to her. I don't know how many of you have ever heard about a lady called Gladys May Aylward. Have any of you read Gladys Aylward? Fantastic missionary hero of mine. This lady, 1902. This is a little account I want to read you. I might have read it to you before. I make no apologies. She's a fantastic hero. And she lived out this kind of principle in her own life, bringing little to God and trusting God to multiply it. At the age of 14, Gladys found a job as an assistant in the Penny Bazaar where nothing on sale cost more than a penny. Clues in the name, I guess. Later, she went to serve in a grocer's shop, but when men began to return from the First World War wanting their jobs back, Gladys had to find employment as a parlour maid in the West End. Hours were long, pay was small, but Gladys enjoyed life in the heart of the great city. She found it all very exciting. She was particularly fond of the theatre. 
And for a few pence she could obtain a cheap seat and she dreamed one day of being an actress herself. The theatre fired her imagination and her imagination often ran riot. One Tuesday evening as she strolled aimlessly along she was spotted by a group of young people standing near a church door. They invited her to come inside, linking arms with her. They led her quite forcefully into the building. She was, that's a good tactic, that, isn't it? You try that one. She was rather annoyed by this and listened to the service with some resentment. She had heard it all before. And at the close, she was making a hasty retreat when someone at the door grasped her hand, asked her name and said, Miss Aylward, I believe God is wanting you. And that really frightened her and she left at once. And this proved to be a disturbing experience which she was unable to forget. Eventually, she went to see Reverend F.W. Pitt. He was not at home, but his kindly wife invited her in and talked to her. She told Gladys the way to salvation. Gladys knew it all, and yet quietly the minister's wife insisted that Gladys could not be neutral where Christ was concerned and urged her to obey the gospel and trust in Christ as her saviour. Nothing dramatic happened. It was so unlike the theatre. But she knelt down beside the good lady and prayed for forgiveness, committing herself to Christ forever. She stood up a different person. Now she knew that she belonged to Christ and that he was her Lord. Soon... Gladys began talking about China and she wanted to be a missionary. Finally, there came that day when Gladys was almost 30. She was back in London, sitting in her bedroom and beside her was a Bible and daily light and a few pennies. All the money she possessed in the world. And in tears, the London parlour maid knelt, placed her hand on her few coppers and prayed with passionate earnestness, Oh God, here's me, here's me Bible, here's me money, use us. God, use us. She rose to hear her name being called. It was one of the other maids to say that the mistress of the house wished to see her. The mistress had called her to explain that it was her practice to pay the fares of the maids when she engaged them. So when Gladys returned to her bedroom, she held three whole shillings in her hand, ten times the amount she had placed on her Bible when she cried to God moments before. She saw it as coming straight from God towards her fee to China. If he could multiply what she gave him as quickly as that, she would soon be there, and God did the necessary multiplication and he opened every necessary door as well, and Gladys went to China. And the moral of that story and of this sermon is this. If you offer God whatever you've got, he will multiply it. If you bring your little to God in faith, he will multiply it into his much Whatever you're facing in your life, if you bring it to God and remain in the will of God and under the grace of God and say, Lord, I'm not going to stray out of your will. I'm not going to look for answers anywhere else. As desperate as it gets, I'm going to come to you and say, Lord, this is me. Here's me. Here's my Bible. 
here's my money, God use us, God will multiply it in your life. I encourage you to keep believing that God will speak into your situation. And then another question that God asks really in this account is this, when shall I stop pouring? It's fascinating, it says in verse 5, she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another. But he replied, there is no jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. It speaks about what God is like. I said right at the beginning, prophetic ministry tends to speak into life itself, tends to speak in about people, and it tends to speak in about God. And Elisha speaking here, and this whole prophetic encounter, tells us something about God, which is this. All the time there's space to receive him, God will keep pouring in to your life. All the time you make extra space and say, Lord, I want you to fill me deeper, more fully than I've ever been filled before. God will keep pouring into your life. However much space you make, you will never run the oil of God dry. You'll never find that you'll turn the tap on wanting more of God and finding that there's nothing to be delivered. God is wanting to fill you. He is wanting to pour himself into your life. However far from him you feel, however unoiled you currently feel, however empty or dry you feel, however unbelieving you feel, God, if you bring him that state, don't wait for yourself to feel better. Come as you are, bringing what you do have to God. He'll multiply it and start filling you with oil again. And there's something, I love being here on this first Sunday of a new building. You know, I know it's an old building, but it's a new wall. I mean, let's go for that. Because you have to, surely as a congregation, believe that with a change to an auditorium, there must be a reason beyond just pragmatics. We we do all of this, don't we? Because we want to know the presence of God more fully. We want more people to come. It's not simply you know, helps traffic flow a little bit. You know, it's about actually, was the other space a bit big? Was it difficult to sense a bit of intimacy? Was it difficult really for ministry? Having a slightly smaller space, more fully filled, is it going to add excitement to the presence of God among us? Is it going to make his presence feel more imminent among us? Hearing each other sing even, is that going to lift our spirits as we're worshipping? Is it going to inject us with faith? Is there going to be a fresh outpouring of the oil of God for King's Church Hastings? <laughs> Would anybody like a fresh outpouring of the oil of God on the King's Church Hastings? We've got to so watch ourselves from going through the motions of church life, haven't we? Another Sunday. Come on, kids. Church today. Is it church today? Yeah, another one. Come on, let's go. Oh, church, right, worship, worship. Sermon, sermon. You know, hang on. We're theologically charismatic. 
Which means if we don't know the oil of God, the dynamic supernatural presence of God, our church doesn't work. It just becomes bland. We're relying on that, what did you say, God? I'll tell you a story about, I mean, I'm just a baby in these things. I just want to, you know, try and inspire myself with you. Just recently in Oxford, you know, I felt God starting to nudge me about us as a congregation getting more involved in the suburbs of Oxford. So I said to the other elders, I just wonder whether God's going to do something to get us out into the suburbs. Oxford is a very small city centre. You know, very packed with people, but a very small city centre. And around it are probably six key suburbs that could be anywhere. Now, I live in Cowley. You know, Cowley could be Oldham. Could be anywhere. You know, you wouldn't... There's no dreaming spas in Cowley, I can tell you. There's, as a friend of mine said, there's two cities here, Matt. One is the city of dreaming spires and the other is the city of screaming tyres. And I'm in that one, <laughs> all right? And um, so I said to the other, I, just, I felt God nudging me about us getting out into the suburbs. And somehow, I don't know what, how that works, I don't know what that means, but I do feel God's in that. The following week, I receive a phone call into the office. And our church administrator says, Matt, I don't know who this guy is on the phone. He wants to speak to you. Uh, sounds a bit, I think it could be a sales call. So I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. I'm probably all British gassed out by then. I was ready for another one. <laughs> so I said, um, British gas, if you hear this online anywhere, don't sue me, all right? <laughs> um, so I think, okay, so I'm a bit cynical. I take the phone. Hello, can I, uh, Matt Partridge, can I help you? And this guy said, hi, is that Matt Partridge? Yes, yes, Matt Partridge, okay. This is going to be a really weird phone call. Um, uh, just really, was, who are you and what do you want? Let's start there. That's what I said. I thought, you know, it's going to be like, you know, are you sure you're getting the cheapest electricity for your office, you know? And so I'm a bit short with the guy, and this is what he said. He said, uh, I'm a community uh, uh, youth officer for Blackbird Lees. Blackbird Lees is one of the biggest, it's in the top ten council estates in Europe. It's at the south of Oxford. Uh, it's a colossal uh, suburb that we would love to get into as a church. Uh, he said, I'm a community youth officer for Blackbird Lees and I'm a Christian. And he said, every time I've been praying recently about my work, I feel God saying, you must speak to Matt Partridge at Emmanuel Church. So he said, then, I'm thinking, oh no. And um, he, then, he said, last night I sat down at the meal table with my wife and daughter and, I, and my wife said, how's your day been? And I said, well, I prayed a bit this morning about the youth project and, and I felt God say that I've got to meet this guy, Matt Partridge, at Emmanuel Church. I've got to meet him. His wife said, I know Matt Partridge. I've met him. You, yeah, meet him, that would be good. He said, while my wife is saying this, I'm thinking, this is bizarre, my wife knows. My daughter said, I know his daughter. I go to school with Esme Partridge. So he said, so I plucked up courage to phone you this morning to say, is there any way we could serve your church vision in Blackbird Lees? So you think, bingo. We're up. Wednesday of, of this week, we had our first meeting in Blackbird Lees 
and seven of our members have moved and rented houses there. And you think, we're off. In that same period of time, in fact, on the day of that meeting on Wednesday, I had an email from another couple in the church, and we've done nothing. No vision days about it. We've not mentioned it on a Sunday. We've not asked people to move. We've just prayed about it. Uh, I get an email on the Wednesday from another couple in the church saying, Matt, we've prayed, we feel God's telling us to really dig in here in Oxford, we're going to buy a house, we're going to buy it in Blackbird Lees or in Rose Hill, which is another suburb. So I'm thinking, I'm going to encourage them to really pray about Rose Hill. We've got three other couples that have moved to Barton, which is a bigger state in the north. Uh, One couple's yet to move in, two other couples have just rented houses there, and from the inception of a little nudge in the Holy Spirit, just a little while ago, I mean, we're talking ten minutes ago, really, I mean, just a little while ago, we get a nudge in my spirit about getting into the suburbs, get this phone call from this guy, Darren, in Blackbird Lees. Some of our people say, our our houses have come to the end of their agreements, we're going to rent other ones, and you think, that's what happens when God starts speaking. That's the kind of... And that's no votes. I mean, we're not going, what do you think, folks? You know? Is that a good idea? You know, all eyes right, all eyes left. Who's for? Who's against? We're just saying, we're trying to keep up with God here. God's speaking and leading. Somehow the oil of God is being poured in. Amen? And that's what makes the difference. You know my story about moving to Oxford. I'm not going to tell you it again. That was a prophetic move of God. Everything in me said no. The flesh said no. Three prophetic words came in that said yes, yes, yes. It's so important that we keep allowing space for the oil of God to keep flowing. I'm just going to live here for a minute or two and labour the point. You know, day of Pentecost. The great thing about the day of Pentecost is it said something like fire came into the room. Like, something like fire. Something like Moses saw when the bush was burning but wasn't actually consumed. Like it looked like fire, but it's not, because it's not burning the bush, but it looked like fire. It's the presence of God. And that kind of burning bush, fire, but doesn't consume the, doesn't consume the bush, has now come indoors. So it's, and it says, and it separated, and there was what looked like a flame of this fire above everybody present. Do you know what that says? There's enough of the Holy Spirit to go round. That the Holy Spirit wants to be on everybody's head and everybody's life. It says, it separated and something like a tongue of fire went on everybody in the room. Nobody left out. And I believe the same to be true now for this congregation. There doesn't have to be those who say, look, I just don't get it. I come, but I just don't feel like I'm part of it. I've never really felt I've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. Listen, the oil of God is flowing. If you bring God uh, to God even your disappointment about your experience of the Spirit, He'll multiply that and get pouring more of the Spirit of God into you. I, I think that's quite a good point. We must not let our churches cool down or slow down or dry out. Become proficient at pulling off meetings. Become media-driven, media-hungry, 
digital age, technologically brilliant companies of people. You know, that's all helpful, but none of it really matters compared with the oil of God sloshing around all over you, filling you in your life. And none of you have to wait for any other invitation. You know, just like this woman, I've got nothing at all except my back's against the wall and I've got a little bit of oil. Come on, we'll start there then. Let's multiply that oil. So whatever your experience of God, he wants to transform your life. This lady had a a remarkable transformation. You know, she went from victim to overcomer by seeking Elisha and by obeying what he suggested to her. You know, she had enough oil. I mean, man, that lady was like an oil magnet. You know, these oligarchs in Russia who become billionaires through the oil industry, she's like a precursor to one of them. I mean, she's got so much oil now, it's unbelievable. She sold all of the excess, paid off all of her debts, kept her darling children, and she probably got enough to cook with, don't you think? You know? God wants to transform your life. Don't settle for second best. Don't find yourself as a Christian without joy, a Christian without power. Don't find yourself as a Christian without fun, a Christian without faith. Don't be a Christian who doesn't grow. Don't be a Christian who continues to feel defeated. They're all part of your old life. Your new life in Christ is ever flowing oil in the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd love to pray with you. Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. I'm going to make an invitation in a minute or two. And it is totally acceptable for some of you to feel that doesn't apply to you and for some of you to feel that it does. So I'm not expecting all of you to respond, but I know in my spirit some of you need to respond, if that makes sense. So this isn't like a little keep Matt happy moment where when I make an invitation everybody has to respond at all. I want this to be an authentic moment for you to receive the oil of the Holy Spirit in fresh measure into your life. So if you would like to receive a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your life for a fresh start, for multiplying what seems to be pretty modest amounts of something, If you want to receive from God today, I would like you to stand up, please. Don't forget, None of us have to have lots of anything to qualify to receive from God. Jesus said, 
receiving the Holy Spirit is receiving a gift. And if us, as fallen fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Often Jesus said, O you of little faith, or where is your faith? And yet he continued to pour himself and share himself with his disciples. He did not wait for them to qualify in greater faith. So whatever you're battling with today, I want you now to begin to engage with God, open your hands and hearts, and silently in your own head, begin to uh, really engage with God on the issue that you're seeking him for. Holy Spirit, we ask you and invite you right now to come pouring and flooding into this room. We want to thank you for this fantastic story in Elisha's life. Thank you that what seemed to be limited supply ended up to be completely unlimited. I want to thank you that what should have run dry in one little pouring never ran dry but kept pouring and kept filling every available space. We thank you for what that speaks of you and your willingness to pour yourself into our lives, our emptiness. So we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, come flooding into every heart that's open and responding right now. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, we ask you. For those of you who want faith multiplied, that really you sometimes find yourself full of doubt or cynicism, can God really do that? Is God really real? Is God really interested? Can God really change that situation? If you are lacking faith, or you would like your faith multiplied, put your hand right in the air where we can see it. I'm going to pray for you specifically. In the authority and the name of the Lord Jesus, right now I break the power of unbelief in Jesus' name. We withstand you. We defeat you. And we do away with you. Unbelief. And we pray right now in its place, we ask for an outpouring of multiplied faith right now the willingness and the ability to believe God for bigger things. I ask for it right now. Holy Spirit, come and give the gift of faith right now. Multiply it, I pray in Jesus' name. I feel God saying to some of you, and I don't know, I'm not going to make it more specific, those of you who are seeking God for the multiplication of faith, I feel God saying, it's time to change your words and your vocabulary. I feel God saying there is a draining of faith through negative uh, talking, of talking things down. God won't. Well, where was he then? I feel God saying it's a day for a new vocabulary. I feel that extends to your praying. I feel God is saying and inviting you to bring to him uh, requests in faith. 
that are different actually sometimes than requests in other ways where you come and say, Lord, you said that you would bless me in this job. Lord, you promised me. You gave me this job, Lord. You gave me your peace. I followed your word. Lord, I'm bringing it to you again. Lord, I ask you to meet me again in my workplace. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm believing. That kind of language. I feel God is going to help you multiply faith as you change your vocabulary even in praying. Thank you, Lord. I feel some of you need to be catalysts for the faith multiplication of others. I feel God's spoken to some of you about leadership and, it, and investing in other people and you've never really worked it out. I feel God saying to you, you've got to help encourage people to believe God for more. <laughs> okay, we'll do a couple more and then we're going to wrap it up. I'd love to pray now for those of you who feel your back's against the wall in any kind of relational pressure where you are longing for the oil of God to pour into a relationship uh, that is causing you pressure or hurt or disappointment. Put your hand right up if that's you. There's a relationship pressure. Okay. Relationship pressures can be some of the worst because they never go away. You go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it. God wants to meet you in your relationship pressure. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And right now we ask you to pour your oil into these relationship problems, Lord. These situations, we ask you to meet every individual. We ask you to pour a healing oil through the ministry and friendship of the Holy Spirit into relationships. Lord, I pray for marriages. I pray for the oil of God to get poured right in. I pray for siblings, where siblings have, where there's conflict between siblings. Is that anybody specifically, where there's a sibling? Is there anybody? Okay. Father, I pray right now for that situation. I pray for the oil of God to begin flowing through every nuance, every pressure point, every complexity in that relationship. I say, Holy Spirit, please pour in and bring change. I pray for healing and reconciliation in Jesus' name. Were there any others? Sibling? Anybody else? Sibling? Okay, we've got one there. Okay, okay. I really feel God just resting on the sibling thing for a moment. Disunity is not of the kingdom of God. You know that? Disunity is not of the kingdom. You know, the enemies at work when there's discord in families. The blessing of God is where brothers dwell together in unity. Father, I pray again. I speak into these situations with the authority in the name of Jesus. And we pray for breakthrough reconciliation and healing in relationships with siblings right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to pour in and flood in right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay. 
keep receiving for a minute or two. Maybe that there are other words of knowledge and Paul's might have to just begin to close it up in a minute or two, but I just can I pray for one more? Okay. Okay, I want to pray for all of those who are facing financial. When we talk about back against the world, I want to talk about financial pressures and finding the grace of God and the oil of God really coming into the situation with financial pressure. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to respond. I want you just to open your own heart on that one. We're going to pray right now. Father, you tell us that you know what we want even before we ask for it. So we come and we seek you with great confidence and faith right now. We ask you to meet every individual in financial difficulty and we pray that you'd pour your oil in. Come flooding right in to those situations for change. We pray for wisdom and discipline with finances. Pray for generous hearts. We do pray that you would help every one of us to really make our finances God-honouring and we ask you to provide, to bring breakthrough moments financially for, for families. Lord, we do not want to look left and right for different solutions. We want to bring it straight to you and say, God, break in. We pray for the release right now from financial bondage, from unjust loans and interest rates. Lord, I pray for folks in this congregation who are under the burden of, of financial debt, I ask you to begin to give them ways to release it, to pour yourself in. We ask for a supernatural answer for a financial problem and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.